on today's show, who will close games for the Cleveland Cavaliers next season? We'll talk about that and more on today's show. I want to thank you for making Lockdown Cavs your first listen every day. Remember, we are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. All right, we're here. Thanks for, for the music on the way in. That's from our friends at Astro Radio. Check them out on Apple Music or Spotify. I'm Chris Manning, covering the Cavs and the NBA for places like Diamond Uprocks and Espionation to the Sword. My co-host is Evan Damrell, covering the Cavs and the Cleveland sports scene at large for Facebook's Write Down Euclid. Producer Jake Stevens is not with us behind the virtual glass, but he is here in spirit producing. Evan, are you ready to talk about closing possible lineups for the Cleveland Cavaliers today? Yeah, it should be an interesting topic. Um, before we start, though, how was your weekend? It, it was a it was a it was a weekend. How was yours? It was it was good. The weather was lovely, so I can't complain about that. Um, we're not bored. Just talk about the weather. It's just closing lineups for the Cavs. I think the Colin Sexton question of the bunch really does skew what we can and can't go with this. I'm sure you have a nice roadmap laid out for us in this episode, but. I think that's kind of like just the big one looking at this all, too. It's just like, if Sexton isn't here, what do the Cavs close with? Well, Evan, I do have an outline. Segment one. I know. I'm I'm leading you into it. Yes, but okay. Segment one, we're going to talk about Darius Garland and then a little bit about Jared Allen because there's the least to say about Jared Allen uh, in terms of the locks for the Cavs closing lineup. Segment two. Two, all about Evan Mobley because he is the lock that is also a wild card in terms of what kind of things they can do at the end of games this year. And then segment three, we're going to run through the other options that the Cavs have to round out that five. It could be Markinen, it could be Kevin Love, it could be Karis LeVert, Ricky Rubio, Colin Sexton, Okoro, Obaji, all of those guys. We're going to do a speed round on the, the that various group of guys. But Evan, let's start with Darius Garland because he is a lock. He is the orchestrator of everything the Cleveland Cavaliers do. He's the lead ball handler. Probably Mm -hmm. their best one-on-one shot maker right now. Uh, Last year, according to NBA.com, he had a 31.7 usage rate in clutch situations. That is a huge, huge number, by far the biggest on the team. The next closest regular rotation player was Kevin Love at 24.7. Ricky Rubio was at 21. The the tricky thing is, Evan, when I was looking at the numbers and building this out and looking at some of the tape from close games... I think what what the numbers say and what the film says is that I think the, this was a little bit of Garland learning how to do this, learning how to be the guy that is having the ball in his hands all the time. And also just like maybe asking him to do a little bit too much. He was 36.7% from the field in clutch situations last year, only 24% from three. This is why you get Ricky Rubio because he can help you. Although his numbers before the Rubio injury and clutch Garland's weren't you know, great then either. This is why you trade for Karis Levert. This is why you want multiple ball handlers who can put pressure on defenses. So I'm curious to see Deer 2 of Garland. This is his post-All-Star year leap. This is another year of maybe the Cavs having better injury luck, a better offensive infrastructure, better ideas of how to do some of this stuff. I'm curious to see what he looks like if there's a leveling up in this specific part of the game for him. So I, I was on a Pacers podcast, the Setting the Pace podcast the other day, and they asked me about Darius Garland, and I just said, you're hoping, obviously you're not going to get that same 
nuclear level leap that you got from him in year three, becoming an all-star, everything else. Like maybe being an all-star is now like the expectations more attainable for Garland, but the fact that he's still so young and there's still ways for him to improve his game in terms of efficiency, being more clutch in closing situations, like you said, um, I think that's where he kind of focuses on his area of improvement. I don't know if there's like an actual like niche like area like the Cavs like say like okay Darius we need you to like hone in on this as besides maybe some defensive issues of course, but other than that, like you said, he's the lead maestro. He is arguably the best shooter on the roster, maybe next to a hot Kevin Love or Laurie Marketing on a good night, but Garland is like one of the most consistent shooters on the Cavs roster at this point. And I, I think you can pencil him in, maybe possibly write him in with ink just to say like, okay, we're going to have you in closing situations. Cause it's not just that if let's say the Cavs are playing with a little bit of a lead and the opponents try and do the foul game. Um, Garland isn't an abject disaster at the free throw line. Like maybe Rajon Rondo would have been for the Cavs last year or if you foul Isaac Okoro in these situations or like in the past, like in the past, if um, just you look at like any traditional big man who like struggles at the free throw line, like Shaq or somebody like that, like that's just like a historical example. Like Garland, you don't, you know, is not going to be a liability if he gets sent to the line and he can knock down those easy two, possibly three, if it's a three point foul and just kind of cushion the lead a little bit for the Cavs. And that's kind of something I've been looking at when it comes to closing lineups is like, who, who are the best shooters from the line if they get fouled in these situations? Yeah. Garland is a guy that's going to be like around 90% from the free throw line. I think Evan, the key to all of this is just Garland is like the one guy on the team right now. If you were to tell me, Hey, we need like a pull up three pointer. We need someone to create an isolation or attack a switch that happens. Like he's the guy I think you would have to trust. Just think about how much basketball at the end of games gets really into the mud. There's not the fancy stuff where there's off ball screening mm-hmm. and a bunch of action and like things to get guys open and, and really have a bunch of moving pieces to form like a machine of, of some kind. Right. It is okay. A big is going to come up and set a screen. There's going to be a switch. The player who has the, Ball after the switch is going to dribble, 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 take a pull up three, try to attack the guy. It is not fancy orchestrated basketball. It is how does the how can this guy maximize his efficiency and be as a and get the best shot he can in like a very quick circumstance. And if you run down this Cavs roster, I think one of the weaknesses of it is that like Garland is kind of the one guy that can do this. Now Colin Sexton has some of the upside to do this. We've seen him make yeah. some big shots before. But again, we he hasn't signed a contract yet. Like we we don't also just know like if 100% he's in these closing lineups at least uh, in a, in a two way sense. I think off film too, there's a case to do it. This isn't also like this. You look at Karis Levert. This is not what you like trust Karis Levert to really do on offense. He can get to the free throw line, get a mid range jumper off. But it's like. I would rather just keep riding with Garland in these situations. And he's like the guy also that like, if you want him to do a pull up three, there's not like anyone else on the roster that you're like, ah, yes, I'm going to trust them to take this pull up three or to run like a pick and pop. Like, it's just like Mobley who will get to is like the wild card in all this, but it's like, this is Garland's the guy in all of this to me. He, Mobley is who I thought of and maybe a pull up three or like me more. So he serves as a trailer, but we'll talk about him in a bit. Like you said, but Garland, just offensively is exactly what the Cavs need in a closing situation. I think you well put that just because Sexton hasn't signed with the Cavs, we don't really know what's going to happen with him. We can we can expand and expand energy on it at another time, maybe when he actually does sign or if we are that desperate for content. But right now, like 
he's not on this roster. I think I have some other interesting guys maybe we could throw out there in the third segment too that I've just kind of thought of during just this thought exercise that this episode is. But Garland is just the safest bet. I mean, I think it's just kind of a given at this point, unless like he's absolutely gassed or his back is locking up, if that's still a recurring issue for him or the Cavs. Um, it'd be remiss, or if he's in foul trouble. Like Those are the only ways like he's not playing in the closing situations for the Cavs because like he will give your offense such a pulse and an identity that it's just it trickles down for the rest there yes all right let's talk quickly about jared allen because of the i I think of the three guys in ink so garland for me at least garland allen mobley i have the least to say in this context about jared allen his role is very clear in these situations he's going to defend the rim he is capable of switching out if the situation presents itself and he's going to rebound on offense he can be a big body around the rim and he's there to to crash for offense for offensive rebounds and tippins his function in these situations is so simple and direct. We have seen his role at times through the course of a 48-minute game and an 82-game regular season expand. The post-ups have happened. There's a little bit more DHO stuff. He goes back basically to the like the, the cleanest version of Jared Allen in the, la- in t- the last two minutes of close games in a key possession. His job is to do the things that Jared Allen is very, very good at. And for that, like, like there's n- he's a guy you can put on the in these situations and you're like, yeah, we're, we're very good with this. Yeah, you're more than good with it. He's a low usage player. He provides you a bit of a vertical threat as well on offense, especially if the Cavs are able to take the top off of defense and get an easy look at the basket. And with Garland and then possibly Rubio being a initiator in these closing lineups too, like that's a pretty easy lob threat and a good way to kind of keep defenses honest and open. And also, if you're Cleveland, you get Jared Allen more comfortable out there. It's just only going to help you too because he's just so engaged and locked in on the defensive end. He's going to provide you rim protection, as Chris said. But in terms of just free throw shooting, I did I, – I, I was curious because traditionally speaking, big men just aren't good shooters, but like Allen is 70% from the floor for his career. Like that's not bad. Like if the Cavs had to see Jared Allen go to the line, the 70% of the time, at least historically speaking, it's going to go in. And like, those are pretty good odds, especially because Evan Mobley was 66% in his rookie season, but he's again, the wild card. But I like Allen is not one of those exploitations that opposing teams can utilize to maybe get themselves back in the game and he has a lot of just two-way potential to kind of just step the tide and kind of maintain the status quo for the Cavs on both ends and maybe the last three to possibly even five minutes of a game yes Allen is not going to be subject to like hack hacka stuff and that it's not going to be a hacker fro yeah you're not going to see him getting like nonsense fouls when the Cavs win the bonus forever just to kind of milk possession. So that keeps him kind of immune from those situations. Okay, after the break, we're going to talk about Evan Mobley because he is both a lock and also the guy that I feel like has the most upside to to be a really, really mega difference maker um, in the situation. Mm-hmm. Shocker, because Evan Mobley... Really good at basketball, but first, going to tell everyone about our friends at Built Bar. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs yet, you are depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor. Ready? Delicious, indulgent cookie dough covered in chocolate. That's right. Built has done it again. Let me introduce you to your new favorite. The cookie dough chunk puffs have a light and chewy texture, real cookie dough chunks, and of course, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. All of the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassles of making it, plus it's healthy for you. Cookie dough chunk puffs are only 160 calories, and they have a whopping 15 grams of protein. Type really fast to and go to Built.com to snag a box for you and the family. It will be the perfect treat, or you can find a really good hiding place and just hoard them for yourself. Like all Built Bars, the new cookie dough chunk puff is covered in 100% real chocolate. That means they're healthy and 
tasty. And what's also great about it is that their bars are made of collagen protein, which is something your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. It is something that tastes good and is good for you. You're going to love the new Cookie Dough Chunk Puff. So you can go to Built.com right now, use the promo code LOCKEDON15 and get 15% off your order. Again, that promo code is LOCKEDON15 at BuiltBar.com. All right, back here on Lockdown Cavs. I'm Chris Manning. That is Evan Damerel. Evan, let's talk about the other Evan, Evan Mobley. The thing about Evan Mobley that I, I would posit here is that we do not know what he is in the setting yet. Evan, yep. last year, he had the ninth highest usage rate in clutch moments last season, 19.9. This was above Karis LeVert, but below Rondo and below Rubio, below Brandon Goodwin, below Kevin Love, all of these folks, right? Like, he did not have an offensive finishing role in clo- in, the, in the amount of close mm-hmm. games that Kev had. And that makes sense. He's a rookie. He was much more effective as a defensive player than an offensive player in year one. That was just a fact. His oh. offensive upside, though, we'll get a second, makes him, I think, so interesting in situations because if he adds anything, moments out of touches, driving to the rim, dunking, passing to shooters, it could take some burden off of Garland. And he's, I think, very clearly... Maybe you could argue Sexton here, but I, I would argue it's very clearly Mobley is the guy to take on the much bigger role at the end of games and boost how good Cleveland can be in these close games when things get in the mud and things get a little tricky. Yeah, so to your point on the usage rate situation, I think a lot of those players you did list, whether it was Brandon Goodwin, Karis LeVert, Rajon Rondo, like those guys make sense too just because they're guards. Mm-hmm. And Mobley, as a rookie, was a big man who could not create for himself sometimes, and that's 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 okay. That's what was the expectation. And Chris smartly pointed this out many, many episodes ago during this summer that when you break down at Mobley's offensive game, it's pretty raw and unrefined, and he was pretty reliant on, like, Darius Garland or Ricky Rubio or Rajon Rondo to kind of get him an easier look, or he would just kind of out-muscle or out-finesse somebody um, in certain scenarios, too, which does make him very interesting because he does have a lot of potential in his game. You see the flashes of it, but, like, he was pretty solid to begin with with relatively, like, no go-to move in his arsenal, so... There's that, of course. Like, I think if he does develop a bit of a bag, I think if how he develops just physically as well is going to be an obvious and just interesting development, too, in his game. Because does he... I mean, I think, yes, he does have that two-way potential like Allen does where he can provide you some verticality on offense, but also excellent rim protection and maybe some also perimeter protection just in terms of Mobley's game, too. Um, just in, in how skilled and valuable he is and multifaceted he is, but like you said, if he is able to act as an offensive hub who can provide you some playmaking by kicking it to shooters or working at the top of the elbow and just kind of getting creative in sets like that, there's ways for him to kind of be utilized or maybe find a cutter along the baseline. Let's say like Isaac Okoro is in a closing lineup and he's streaking to the basket. Like Mobley could get an easy like dish in that situation, too. Like He could really help in that regard. But I, I, I focus in on, one, him improving his free throw shooting. Like, there were times, especially towards the end of the season, we saw like maybe just the fatigue and general fatigue of the rookie season hitting him. Mm-hmm. And also, if he develops more as a shooter, because I talked about this a bit in the first segment, if the Cavs wanted to, in, like, fast-break scenarios or maybe when they're beginning to set up their offense, Mobley acts as a trailer when he bring, inbounds the ball to Garland. If he becomes a more reliable three-point shooter, like, that unlocks a lot of things for the Cavs and also gives them a little bit more flexibility and creativity because, let's say, Allen is in foul trouble. Like, you could slide Mobley to the five, and he's more of a spacer at the five, too, because he can hit perimeter shots more reliably. Like, that gives you a lot more versatility and options to put pieces in place between 
him and Garland at the two, three, and four as well, just to really kind of just make some fun wrinkles and things just kind of interesting for the Cavs in general. Yeah, the the three point shooting is like its own like I can throw my hands up and wonder if it's going to happen or not. I think. Oh yeah, it's. I don't think that's going to be like an immediate adjustment his sophomore season, but something maybe if we look at year three or maybe at a year two heading into year three, then year three heading into year four, like that's like okay, are you going to become more of a shooter or do we need to maybe just let that ship sail and focus on other parts of your offensive game? Yeah, I I think for me the creation like whatever he can whatever he can maybe do and whatever the Cavs can do in terms of who's on the floor to maybe take some of these some of the pressure to just play with the ball in his hands off of Garland I think is key because Garland also has value as a guy that can be like your spacer off ball like you, if if Mobley has the ball in a situation where he's posting or he's at the mm-hmm. elbow and like there's a react they react to him in some way and he gets to make a read and it's like a Darius Garland on the opposite wing and the defender has sagged off of him and it creates opportunity like there's stuff he can do that can unlock some of this the other part of this and the other side of the floor is just that he's key to everything on the defensive end he's going to make any unit he's in any end of game unit help is going to help it function and if you're saying okay we're going to play two bigs that teams are trying to hunt now in the nba at the end of games and put in screens and have their guards and wings attack them like if you're going to if you're going to try to build like a structure around two two bigs in in that kind of setting it's hard to think of two bigs that are where they are now that you could think of that are better off to play in these situations at the end of games. They can both switch. They can help. Mobley, I think also we, what we could see this year is like maybe at the end of games, if even if it's a possession, maybe Mobley gets, takes the run in an apex predator wing that the Cavs run up against in a half-court setting. He, he, let's just say they're playing Boston in a close game, and Boston mm-hmm. has advanced the ball late in the game over the half-court line. Why not just put him on Tatum? Why not? Yeah. Why not have him defend LeBron James at the end of a game against the Lakers? Why not have him defend like Cade Cunningham in, in, in a division game? If his strength yeah. builds up, why not have him defend Giannis for a, for a possession or or have him defend Chris Middleton? Like he, you can you do there. Like his offensive stuff is going to come, and we will see where it goes. The defensive stuff is just also so like. He might, and he's gonna. He's. I think eventually gonna get good enough, Evan, to end games on defense. And like, I want to see like them get. We- it would be very fun to see them get weird with that this year and say like, "Hey, we're playing the Bucks. It's it matters for our playoff seating. Chris Middleton's probably gonna get try to take a pull up. Jake, can you eat that up for us, Evan, on this one position? Mm-hmm. I want to see it. Yeah, I, I'd like to see it too. I. I... I like to see kind of how he just grows as a player. Like, I think you smartly mentioned that if he does bulk up a little bit, he can handle kind of the ruggedness and roughness of Giannis as well. If you're like thinking like a team like the Sixers, like if you're able to slap Evan Mobley on James Harden for a a possession and then you can put Allen on Embiid, like that's a really good way to stymie the Sixers defensively and when they're trying to slow down their offensive identity. And because the key thing with those two is they defend really well without fouling. And like, I know it's a bit of a joke. People like to like thumb their nose at it, but like Harden and Embiid do have the ability to get to the free throw line quite a bit. But if you're able to have those two just kind of operate in tandem, and then let's say let's say like Ochai Abaji or Isaac Okoro, if he has a huge offensive leap, is out there next to Garland. Like you have those two kind of wreaking havoc on the perimeter next to Mobley. Like there's a lot of cool stuff the Cavs can do to, like you said, close games and end them on the defensive side of the ball, and in turn make a lot of the offensive stuff easier for them too and that's kind of what i'm focused on but in terms of year two i think like you said uh garland playing off ball and kind of forcing Mobley to post up in certain situations like i'm interested to see how they do that i think like abaji is like an interesting vex factor in this too like him as an off ball shooter as well could like really help with Mobley's passing and just kind of like as an inside threat post kicking to the outside on the perimeter as well like there's a lot of cool things the Cavs could do 
on offense in closing scenarios to kind of just make themselves more than just one note in certain situations and maybe make them a little less vanilla at times as well. Yeah, and it's just, I think, trying to as much, like, I think the bar is going from, like, we kind of survived these situations to, like, we can now function in them is, is yeah. how I kind of look at it. All right, after the break, let's talk about, we're going to do rapid fire on various other options to close out with Garland, with Mobley, and with Jared Allen. That's coming up after this. All right, back here in Lockdown Cavs, Chris Manning and Evan Damerel. All right, let's Evan, let's run through some guys. Let's start with Larry Markkinen because I think as a catch-and-shoot spacer option, he makes a ton of sense. They would go mm-hmm. to that Garland, Markkinen, pick-and-pop last year when they needed a quick three. Gives you some defensive size as well. 44% on threes in the clutch last year. 72% of his shots in that time frame in clutch situations were on threes. So his role was to just shoot a bunch of threes. Yeah. I, I, I could very much see him being someone that they, that they go to. Maybe it's matchup dependent, but he makes a ton of sense here. He does make a ton of sense, especially because if you have Mobley and Allen on the floor with him, they cover up a lot of his defensive miscues and mistakes because he doesn't possess that lateral quickness. Mobley maybe does. And if... Shoot, if Mobley's able to kind of refine his game and become more of a permanent defender, marketing becomes so much less of a liability. Like, yeah, him and Garland could be, like, t- easy targets in pick-and-roll situations and things like that. But if you have, like, two aliens like you do in Mobley and Allen just to kind of cover some of the defensive mistakes that some of your other teammates may have, like, that that unlocks a lot of huge things for them. But, yeah, but marketing makes a lot of sense. He's very clutch, like you said, in certain three-pointer scenarios. And I think the Cavs having, like, a bread and somewhat bread and butter play with the marketing garland pick and pop i know marketing missed time due to injuries and covid but like if that becomes something they really flesh out and becomes like a reliable like just staple of their offensive diet that could be a really good thing for them in close situations too all right let's move on to kevin love shooting trusted veteran there are some defensive issues obviously in a way that there's not with marketing so maybe he's a guy we see more in like offensive settings and it's like an offensive defense thing with him, but he's another guy. He had a a ton of usage last year in these situations, clearly someone that has been there, done that in a way no one else on this roster has that I think counts for something. And I think that counts for something in Jimmy Bickerstaff's book as well. Uh, It depends, you know, if he sustains what he he did last year into this year again, and he's healthy and all of that. But another guy that I think matchup dependent, um, what you need dependent makes a ton of sense. Even if it's just in moments, Evan, where like they need to throw in another shooter on the floor at the end of a game, just to space things out, like he, or to to be a guy to, Mm -hmm. to, to be there as a, to make the extra pass or whatever. Like Kevin Love is going to be situationally, could be situationally important in some of these circumstances. So, defensively it would be a mess but if you're able to run like let's say like a lineup of garland abaji if he's just that good of a shooter in his rookie or possibly sophomore year marked in love and mobley like could you see that being a roster like a lineup you'd roll with in a closing scenario just if let's say like allen's in foul trouble or he's unavailable that night because i agree with a lot of your points it just said the defensive concerns with kevin love are real and if you're able to do an offense or defense sub that makes more sense but like i think the offensive at least spacing potential and maybe letting mobley just completely wreak havoc on the interior because market and love are going to keep defenses honest on the perimeter like that could be a really fun wrinkle for the Cavs. yeah i, I could see it match up to dependent wise like i don't think that makes yeah. sense against like boston but like maybe you could hide him on like pat williams against the bulls or something like i i think yeah, there's it, ways you could try it out yeah yeah, there's ways you can try that. I don't think, like, Milwaukee doesn't make a ton of sense. Uh, like you said, Boston is really tricky just because they have two superstars at the four, at two and the three slash four, and Tatum and Brown, and then, like, Smart's pretty good, and then Time Lord's really good. Well, like, the Celtics are just really good. That's a hot take on my part. But um, 
it's it's a certain scenario but like i i think like i agree with you i just think love is more matchup dependent and just kind of situational like hey do we need an easier three-pointer do we maybe need some tertiary playmaking and that's just kind of where i'm at with kev all right karis lavert bigger guard who can dribble and get his own shot not I, I would say like he's not defensively versatile in the way some have pushed it. He's not, it's not what he is. What he is is a guy who can handle the ball for you. 50% in the field from the field in, in 10 clutch games for the Cavs last year. Very two point, very mid range heavy. I get the appeal of it. It is not my like stylistic personal choice, but I could see this particularly while Ricky Rubio is coming, coming back. And I, he, he's a guy that I think we could see in the, in these lineups for sure. I think, yeah, like you said, stylistically, it's not really my cup of tea. I think a lot of it, too, is is he comfortable? Are the Cavs comfortable with him on the floor? Because they did have the issue of last year that he didn't really get to practice much with Cleveland. And the fact that he missed a month uh, throughout last season with Cleveland due to a foot injury, like, really just threw a wrench in things. So let's see how he looks at the beginning of the year. So I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. And like you said, not having Rubio out there could give them more of an opportunity to kind of carve out and maybe figure out this situation. But Levert, if you had to ask me, would you probably lean on Levert or love more on like a game-to-game basis I think Levert just makes more sense because you can kind of plug and play him a little bit more in different lineups and situations yeah I, th- I think feeling like you can meet he can like I think it's just like it's the ball in the hands at spectrum because the Cavs yeah. just like I think they just desperately need one other guy to play with Darius at the and like maybe it's it's Evan somewhat maybe it's Sexton or whatever they need another guy to play with uh with Levert for, for whatever it is worth Garland plus Levert lineups last year, according to Cleaning the Glass, were plus 3.1 per 100 possessions. The most used one, Garland, Levert, Okor, Markkinen, Mobley, uh, played 169 possessions, was plus 12.3 per 100, uh, scored 127.8 points per 100 possessions, had a defensive rating of 115.5. So the defense wasn't great. The offense was good. That makes sense considering you're playing Levert and Markkinen and Garland. Like that's one of the worst structural defensive lineups the Cavs kind of would, would put out at any time last year. So I'm curious to see just what his role looks like, and it wouldn't shock me if like he, if there's games where like maybe he's like the like if they draw something up and he's the guy that gets the initial pass, mm-hmm. and then like he makes like the read to Garland off ball or something, yep. just or like he's the guy that has to like feed Garland the ball and get it back to him if they're like putting. You know, let's take Marcus Smart's chasing him around or whatever, or Drew Holiday. Like, and you use, and he's the the guy to to, to be the linking piece to, to get to Garland. All right, Ricky Rubio. Big if here, if he's healthy, I it would not shock me at all, Evan, if Ricky Rubio is healthy and looks okay when he comes back. If he's someone that JB Bakersaf's just like, yeah, this guy's in my closing five, and he becomes like yeah. number four and ink out of out of habit. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. I think he said really well like it's a big if if he's healthy does he look functional after a second acl tear like there's going to be some rust with him coming back to the floor after being off for so long but i wouldn't be surprised either because the Cavs just had a really good thing going where they're running those two point guard sets with mobley and allen because those two eat because you have two playmakers and also with rubio just being so comfortable with the ball in his hands playing garland off ball is just like a really exciting thing the Cavs can do too or like he is so interesting as just like a spacing player like there's a lot of things the Cavs could do as well just playing garland off ball and putting the ball in rubio's hands but it all just depends on if he's healthy ultimately like yeah i would agree if he is not the same player he was but like still really really good out there for the Cavs. like it would not surprise me at all if he's in that closing five on a night night basis yeah i just the guy that like i feel like you feel trustworthy with in that situation like that's what what's good what rubio's gonna be and if 
Defensively, I think the key will be like if I again I maintain that his defensive impact last year was much more valuable than his offensive impact. And in I think you know it tilts more towards the defense at the very least. If that is where it is when he comes back and he can be in shape and all of that, that's that's a big deal. Okay, I'm gonna lump these two together and then we'll finish with Colin Sexton. Okoro is mention I'm mentioning him here just because he's very much a defensive option when they go offense defense for him to defend like someone when they when they like let's say like there's gonna be a moment where like Garland gets pulled out on defense and it's like Okoro and like. Mobley and Allen and like two and like Lamar and it's just like a very defensive heavy thing that would not shock me. Mm-hmm. I don't feel great about Okoro being a guy in like the last in a flowing three minute situation, but in the last position of the game on defense, he's probably going to be on the floor. And then for Ochai Abaji, this is way too early to discuss him in these circumstances because we yes. have just not seen it yet. He has to be immediately like awesome for us to to really I think consider him as a in the flow of the game last three four minutes of a game kind of guy. I mean, the idea of Ochai and what he provides you at his apex as a 3 and D player like makes a ton of sense in a closing lineup for Cleveland because he is able to translate from either end of the floor pretty comfortably. It's kind of like the same vein as Mobley and Allen in that regard where like you can use that. But like Okoro is interesting. So if he does make that offensive leap that we're hoping he makes in year three, it's a little easier to talk him into a closing lineup scenario because he can somewhat translate, but maybe he's not obviously your number one option. If he's option five, but he's not like an abject disaster from the perimeter this season that's not a bad place to have is like your fifth option in a closing lineup. And I think either of those two would be pretty good. But if I, like you said, we don't know what Abaji is in his rookie season. We don't know how much he's going to play because he's going to be probably pretty buried on this rotation to start the season as well. Um, we just need a clearer picture of him. Maybe just more, some, some more tangible data of him playing with like really high end NBA caliber talent before we really like say like, yeah, this kid can close for the Cavs. Yes. All right. Let's end on Colin Sexton again. We're saying this is our repeated update with Colin Sexton that there is no update on, yep. on Colin Sexton as of right now. I think there's that. an offense. No, not yet. And not now either. With Colin Sexton, there is an offensive punch. No, there's an okay. offensive. Pu- there's an offensive punch he can provide that maybe makes us a question. I, I wouldn't like feel it's an irrational opinion fully to be like, I trust this dude more in the last three minutes of a game than like Karis Levert. I don't think that's like an insane thing for you to to think. I I don't know. I I think like his spacing aspect and just like that part of it and the speed is really interesting to me. Um, it's just like it's very hard to 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 think about and like how do you then like defensively what does that look like with him and Garland in the last three minutes of a close game in a, in a close uh-huh. run of a playoff game? Because Gar, Gar we said this Garland's an ink. Like yeah. this is the we have moved past the discussion of like which half of sex land do you prefer? The land half of sex land is the preferred like, half of that backward. Hey, like Tony like Tony Soprano said, uh times will change, but real estate will always be valuable no matter what time it is. So the land will always be more valuable in this. But it's it's an it's an interesting thought exercise. So if Sexton does come back I wouldn't say he's necessarily one-dimensional, but we do know the one thing he can give you is offense. Like you said, the speed is there. Let's hopefully he didn't lose much of that with the meniscal tear, but from what I've gathered and many others have gathered, like it was a pretty serious recovery for him. And if you just kind of watch the videos and photos, you can tell it was a serious recovery for him. Maybe there's a little bit of rust to start next year if he is back with the Cavs. There's just like a little bit of just some trepidations on his part because if he's playing on the qualifying offer or something like that, there's going to be some maybe carefulness or... Or maybe he's just really trying to prove a point that he's worth maximum top dollar in his regards. And 
it's an interesting thing. He he's an X factor, not in the similar vein to Evan Mobley, but like he could do a lot of things for the Cavs because he is that secondary ball handler who isn't afraid of having the ball in his hands in clutch situations as we've seen in the past with the Cavs. Where like there were there was chances Cleveland had the win the game and Sexton was trying to kind of will them back to victory because he was just able to consistently get buckets or get to the free throw line and was able to knock them down. So like there's a lot of things he can do. It's just, I agree with you. Defensively, there's some real concerns between those two. And I think the Cavs quietly kind of, not punting necessarily, but maybe looking at other avenues other than the smaller backcourt. Because you look at like teams like Utah and Portland as examples before it, and both of those teams look like they're ready to move on for what Portland has. But like somewhat, Portland somewhat has because they have Anthony Simons now in tow. But um there's some interesting ways to do it, but like the Cavs are looking to get bigger at every position, except with Darius Garland, who's like a 6'1", 6'2"-ish point guard, and then you build a lot of size around him, and Sexton isn't size. He's a 6'1", 6 shooting guard and like can get carved on defense, and if you pair him and Garland together, like teams are going to feast on the perimeter. And again, like a lot of that can change. Let's say Mobley is like a stud on the defensive side of the ball, and he's able to guard like key wings and closing moments on the perimeter to kind of like stymie and cover for the defensive issues that garland and sexton together have but we'll see where it goes like it's an interesting thought exercise because if he's back he answers a lot of the issues the Cavs on the offensive side of the ball but he gives you more questions on the defensive side of the ball that's just kind of where i'm at Evan, give me give me your five. If you were to say today the five man, the last three minutes of a game, everyone's healthy. Okay, that was my question. What's the five? What's the five? So like, it's Rubio's back, Sexton's re, Sexton's back. You get to pick five that you close the last three minutes of a close game with. Garland, Rubio, Mark, and Mobley Allen. Okay, I think it just makes a lot of sense in terms of spacing, just playmaking, and defense. It's just like they're all multifaceted in different ways, and they kind of cover each other's issues a little bit. That's the one I I lean to as well. I'm tempted I'm tempted to go Garland Rubio Love Mobley Allen. That is where I'm tempted to go. I'm, it makes sense because Love is way less streaky of a shooter than Markin, but like you said the defensive the slight not the slight like the Decent defensive upside compared to marketing and a lot of is just kind of where I get hung up because you don't want to get shredded after like maybe hustling for a couple easy buckets on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I I think I just trust Mobley and Allen so much that I think I could get away with it. That's fair. I yeah. asked I asked this because I'm going to be making us a social media graphic and and we're gonna throw it up on the Twitter. But um, oh, cool the Twitter, the Twitter, the the bird app. Um. I, I'm gonna. That's gonna be my final answer. Not like an ink, like three of them in ink, and then the other two in like pencil that I I can erase later on if if I need to. But it's Garland, Rubio, Love, Mobley, and Allen. I I think you can make a fair argument for that. I think Abaji could be an X factor here too. Like if Abaji's just like an absolute stud in his rookie season, you could put him in, and he just makes a lot of sense at the three for the Cavs in closing lineups. That would be such an upper one percent. Like that feels just that's like, like a, that's just, like the upper yeah. like that's the top one percent hit in terms of like the fourteenth yeah. overall pick just contributing in such yeah. a huge way for the Cavs in his rookie season. Yeah, I think I think if we're looking at like like wild card X factors and like I think it's Sexton and I th- and I think it's Mobley's upside. Those are the two that I'm looking at and saying like okay, 
is are these two things a Y factor? Yeah. That's think maybe not yeah. like X factor capable, but it could be a factor if Okoro becomes a much better sh- like at least a average shooter in his third season we, in the there's, league. There's, like that, yeah, that, that can change a, whole, a lot yeah. too. There's a whole we episode, a whole episode that, on yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, so people can go check out the Okora episode if they haven't already. Uh, but we're going to leave the Cavs closing lineup stuff there. Tweet us your Cavs closing lineups at LockdownCavs. Email us at LockdownCavs at gmail.com. And we'll read some of your feedback on, on a later show, perhaps. want to thank you for making Lockdown Cavs your first listen every day. This episode was produced by Jake Stevens. We're going to be back on Wednesday. I th- assuming it comes out as we expect it to, we're going to talk about the NBA schedule what the Cavs 2022-23 slate looks like and and all of the the ups and downs of that. Still far away, but it's some some primo August content for us here. We hope you join us for that episode. For your second listen, get up to date on the latest news and rumors in the NBA in just 30 minutes every day with Lockdown NBA. Lockdown NBA is your daily NBA update in just 30 minutes. Also, I would recommend checking out Lockdown Guardians. That team is killing it right now, and Jeff Ellis is great. Check out Lockdown Browns with Garrett Bush and Jeff Lloyd, and check out the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show with that whole crew over there. Until next time, I'm Chris. That's Evan. Be well, everybody.